The Grassroots Network summer podcast series has been generously underwritten by Turnkey Vacation Rentals. Turnkey Vacation Rentals is the first truly owner-centric vacation rental service now available in the Roaring Fork Valley. We handle all of your short-term rental property management needs, offering superior service and high returns. Turnkey's straightforward pricing and transparent business model make it easier for you to earn revenue from your rental. Proprietary technology provides a smoother, more efficient experience for both travelers and vacation rental owners. Trustworthy, local staff provides support around the clock with true full-service property management for homeowners and their guests. For more information on Turnkey Vacation Rentals, contact Mark Viola at mark.viola at turnkeyvr.com or call at 970-368-4288. Turnkey Vacation Rentals supports the Grassroots Network in your community. Welcome to another edition of The Local Show here on Grassroots Community Network, our kickoff show of the summer series. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you guys had a great off-season. I hope you're enjoying the beginning of summertime here in Aspen. Such a beautiful time of year. Such an exciting time because we are kicking off our summer series with an Aspen legend, a worldwide <laughs> icon. <laughs> I'm going to keep building you up, Greg. We've got Greg Lewis. Greg, welcome to the Eric, local thank show. You. Thank you very much. Recent inductee to the Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. You, you're, you're, I mean, you're, I'd actually have to, if I pulled out your credentials, it would like scroll down, you know, somewhere. Well, that's why this is a three-hour show today, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> We're doing an extended special edition of a three-hour edition of the local show to talk about some of your accomplishments. But uh, anyway, I'm honored, you're, you're, I'm honored and excited to have you. Well, you're very nice. And uh, <laughs> I didn't know I was a worldwide icon, but uh, <laughs> I'll be sure to tell my mother. She'll be thrilled. <laughs> yeah, remind her. <laughs> remind your mom. But Greg, you've got such a, a rich history and background and you know all the years in television broadcasting all the years in aspen you started skiing yeah. here in 1955 is that right yeah our family came up for uh, it was about a seven or eight hour drive in those days from denver oh we God. came up in 1955 spring break and uh, i took lessons on little nell there was a t-bar back in those days and I, of course i had skis that were about a f two feet above my head and <laughs> with cable bindings and old army surplus boots and uh, oh my, my ski poles had baskets about that big around. <laughs> anyway, I had the time of my life and I, I and my brother and sister and my mom and dad all started skiing at the same time and we had no idea how big an impact it would have on our family and of course it shaped my whole life. No kidding, because then your career would go, you know, you did a lot of commentating uh, uh, with ski racing and uh, you know, really got into the culture and the sport over the years. But also in that time frame, I guess, in, well, more towards the 70s, was it, that you were a ski ski patroller well, on I Aspen came, Mountain? I, I graduated from college in 1969. I, I went to Middlebury College in Vermont. And okay. I was supposed to be on the ski team, but there were a lot of guys that were far better than I. And, of course, I'd never really skied on eastern ice. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I yielded uh, wisely. And anyway... Uh, then I was supposed to be commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, and I had an athletic injury, so I suddenly, in 1969, had this freedom to go wherever I wanted. And I thought, okay, I'll just go back to Aspen. I'd been here every summer since 1964. Okay. And um, one thing led to another. I was in the ski school f at, at first, and then in March of that, uh, March of 1970, 
I was invited onto the Aspen Mountain Patrol. They'd had a bunch of injuries. And I have to admit, I had the time of my life. It was very different back then. It was much more relaxed, and there were a bunch of crazy guys who'd been around for a long time, and it was, uh, it, it was wild and, and fun. Is there a story like that would capture that feeling, that, that um, kind of that carefree spirit back in that time in the early 70s? Something that comes to mind? Uh, well, there was a ski patrolman that I worked with named Eddie Licht, who uh, moved from here and, and when Snowbird, open, Snowbird opened, um, but had been on the patrol for several years. And I went out on, well, I went out on a, a wreck, as we called them, with him. In those days, we had a two-man toboggan. The front man had these long handles and he would steer, and the back man had no skis and would stand on a, a platform that had bolts going out the bottom of it, and you had an arm, that you a lever arm, that you pulled back, and those bolts would dig into the snow and slow you down. Okay, like your brake. Like a brake. Okay. And so you had the guy in front and the brake man in the back, and we went to pick up somebody who had reported that they were injured, and we got there, and they were just tired. And they said, I need a ride down. I'm so tired. And, and Eddie said, we'll give you a ride down that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Oh, so let's have fun and, with it. Yeah. And we just, we sped down the mountain with this guy seated on top of this toboggan, bouncing around and screaming the whole way, stop, stop, let me out. And anyway, we got to the bottom and Eddie turned to him and said, don't ever tell us you got a problem unless you got a problem. Right, right. But you could never do that these days. <laughs> Almost like teach him a lesson. Kind of yeah, it, I mean, you could never do that these days. Think, yeah. Things were pretty crazy back right, then. Right. It, was a, it was a lot of fun, and I made a whopping $2.36 an hour. Wow, holy mackerel. But skiing back then was probably only, what, 20 bucks a day, 30 bucks a day? I don't even remember what it was. 70s? I, don't, I don't remember what it was. Oh, but we also worked six days a week, and I now work five days a week on the patrol. Right. And I had the time of my life. I mean, in those days... Walsh's wasn't open, the mine dumps weren't open, Bingo Slot wasn't open, Christie's wow. wasn't open. So a lot of the mountain that we skied, which is now available to everyone, wasn't available to anybody else. So we, we were spoiled and privileged and um, we would go into those areas and we had these little dynamite bombs we'd throw in there and, and, and then ski down and it was- Did you have fun doing that? I, I really had a great, great time. <laughs> to me, the throwing the bomb part always seemed pretty attractive. You know, like, who do, who, what guy doesn't like to blow stuff up? I yeah, mean, no, it was, cool. I got to say, I was 22 years old, and I'm skiing, uh, you know, I'm getting paid to ski on Aspen Mountain, and I'm yeah. throwing bombs around, and yeah, it was, um, it, it was a, a hell of a lot of fun. So was that a pretty, um, the ski patrollers, were they pretty attractive to the ladies back then, too? Was that a pretty good position well, for Well, I know at least you know, one of them was. No. Right. <laughs> the one that you married? <laughs> no. Uh, uh, it seems like it those guys a, were kind of the, you know, the studs, like the dudes. Uh, I don't know. We had a pretty <laughs> irreverent group of guys. I mean, some of them were married, and some of them would never be married. And right. I'm, try I'm thinking right. back over, a lot of them are gone now. I mean, most of them are deceased right. at this point that right. I was on the patrol with. But um, no, they were, so we'd ski all day and we'd go down at the end of the day and the old Red Onion Bar at that time um, had a, an area by the window with a low table that had, people had carved their names in for years and it was called Beer Gulch. I don't know if you ever remember that. Anyway, no, it was called no. Beer Gulch and you'd everybody'd meet in Beer Gulch <laughs> and um, more than not, when you left Beer Gulch, you 
didn't have any idea where you were going. <laughs> you but, came down Spar Gulch, you went to Beer Gulch, and then it was just yeah, down exactly. the wormhole after that or something yeah, like that. Absolutely. Bit. We needed to save ourselves. Right. So I will tell you that, so I got married at the end of that first year of the patrol, and then I know you have other topics you want to talk about. And um, in those days, a shot of tequila cost a dollar. And it was at the base of the old Little Nell, uh, it was a, a bar and restaurant there. And, yeah, uh, Little Nell's. Yeah, the Little Nell. bar there. So we go into the bar, and I get there for my bachelor party, and a patrolman, now gone, named Howie Mayer, uh, comes over, and he puts a $20 bill on the bar, and he calls the bartender over, and he says, every time he finishes one of these shots, just take a dollar out of this and fill it up. <laughs> so, um, you know, I say this with, with, with great... Uh, what do I want to call it? Pride. Sarcastic, <laughs> sarcastically. Yeah, shame is the better word. I drank, um, I drank, I, honestly, I drank 27 shots of tequila in an hour and a half, and I passed out, and I was propped up in an evacuation litter in the corner. And then after a while, they took me to this party where the my wife-to-be was with a bunch of uh, women, and many of them patrol wives, and they threw me in the door in this evacuation uh, litter, you know, just catatonic. And then when the women discovered that uh, that's how I was, they they made up my face with makeup, and uh, it was <laughs> that's um, classic. It, it's classic. Yeah, th these are my. I'm glad we started with my most proud that moments. Was, and that was the start of the romance with your wife, I bet, because she probably had sympathy for you. You know, she's like this poor guy. Well, at I least that night. Him. I don't know for the next twenty-one years <laughs> if just she had any sympathy yeah. for me. Anyway, that's uh, boy, you're bringing up some of my more uh, ignoble experiences. I didn't mean to pull any skeletons or, <laughs> or yeah, black, you did or blackouts yeah. out of the closet. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to have stature in this community. Now I'm shocked. <laughs> I wanted to build you up. I didn't want to tear you down. No, that's okay. We'll, we'll have a nice mix of questions. I know that no one else We'll hit in on town some of your high points, too. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Plus, this is still off-season, so, you know. Hardly right. anyone will see this. Perfect. <laughs> All right, Greg. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to rehydrate. We're going to get into the body of the show and your accomplishments besides the 27 shots of tequila. Yeah. I think you did a few other things throughout the years. So we'll take a quick break. I do want to thank my underwriters who make the show possible this summer. We have Pickin County Landfill, Aspen Square, Dagger Fitness, The Original Leaf, we'd like to welcome to the show, Sundog Athletics, and Ajax Tavern and Element 47. We'll go to a couple of brief messages. We'll be back in about a minute and a half. We got Greg Lewis. He announced seven Olympics, two-time Emmy Award winner, and so many more accomplishments. We've got a lot to talk about, so don't go away. The Grassroots Network Summer Podcast Series has been generously underwritten by Turnkey Vacation Rentals. Turnkey Vacation Rentals is the first truly owner-centric vacation rental service now available in the Roaring Fork Valley. We handle all of your short-term rental property management needs, offering superior service and high returns. Turnkey's straightforward pricing and transparent business model make it easier for you to earn revenue from your rental. Proprietary technology provides a smoother, more efficient experience for both travelers and vacation rental owners. Trustworthy, local staff provides support around the clock with true full-service property management for homeowners and their guests. For more information on turnkey vacation rentals, contact Mark Viola at mark 
www.viola at turnkeyvr.com or call at 970-368-4288. Turnkey Vacation Rentals supports the Grassroots Network in your community. Thanks for sticking with us here on The Local Show, a show just for you locals each week here on Grassroots Community Network. We're fortunate to have Greg Lewis in the house kicking off our summer series. And Greg, you also had some early experiences in the 70s. We were talking about your ski instructor, ski yeah. patrol. You've broadcast to be a very dignified guy so far. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, here's where you just rose up. You were doing a little bit of television work here on Grassroots TV. We've seen oh, some of that footage. They yeah. bring up every now and then. And the particular one I want to ask you about is the interview of the hippies in Pepke Park. And you're interviewing this, so what are you guys going to do? I mean, you stick around well, first off, Do you remember I, that? Yeah, you... Oh, yeah, I remember it because I, I was really a rookie, and I was forgetting to move the microphone over to talk to the guys. And these guys were stoned. I mean, right. they were, you could have told them that they were in Poughkeepsie, New York, or Akron, Ohio. Anyway, so we're all seated in the park, and I'm asking them questions and trying to be somewhat serious, you know, like, how long have you guys been in Aspen? Oh, dude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I got to think about yeah, it. Well, that's kind of a hard yeah. question, man. Maybe a day. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. How long have we been here? <laughs> anyway, it was an interesting experience. Um, and then you have to work around that because you're like, well, these guys are pretty stoned. So yeah, and then no, you have to were... adjust as an interviewer, right? Just think, and that was that was when pot was illegal. Now imagine what they would have been like in the park if they. Right. Anyway, it was fun, and it was all part of learning my craft, as it turned out to be. I had no idea at that time. That so that was the very start of it. Oh yeah, your first television what... experience was on grassroots TV. Yeah, I think so. Actually, that's wow. true. Wow, wow. Well, see, you've come full circle now. All those years later, <laughs> what is that? Forty-four years. Oh, thank you. Well, grassroots started <laughs> no, no. in seventy-two. I don't know if they, I don't know if you did that. In it would have been early on. I don't know. It, well, I started in network television in seventy-five. Um, so yeah, that's so that must right. have been early seventies right then. Right when they first began. How did and you make the jump? I mean, that, like <laughs> grassroots TV. I mean, that would be well. That, so that'd I'd be akin from me jumping into network. How do you make that jump? How did that happen? Well, I got, I got lucky. Bob Beatty hired me to be uh, the PR person, communications person for World Pro Skiing. Okay. And part of my job responsibility was to announce the races on the PA system. So I did that. And then uh, tried to make this story very short. NBC acquired the rights to the Moscow Games for 1980, an Olympics that never happened for America. Yep. And they brought a bunch of people over from ABC uh, because they had experience with the Olympics. So then they bought, a, they, they bought a ski race, and it happened to be a ski race in Aspen. And they said, oh, my God, we don't have any announcers for ski racing. Who are we going to get? One of the ABC people had met me through ABC Wide World of Sports covering pro ski racing, and they said, call this guy Greg Lewis. So I got this call out of the blue, and uh, they said, hey, would you like to be a commentator on an NBC television show about ski racing? And of course, I mean, I, I couldn't have jumped high enough and fast <laughs> enough. And, and um, it was, uh, uh, I was so anxious, so nervous. I, I threw up twice on the way to do the opening on camera. Oh my gosh. And uh, it, it, anyway, it ended up that the producer liked me. He asked me what other show or what other sports I knew. And I said, 
I'll know anything you want me to know. And, <laughs> and then I, I basically worked for NBC for 30 years. I also worked for CBS and ESPN and Turner and others. But ESPN, NBC was really kind of my bread and butter for 30 years. And you would go on to broadcast seven Olympics, is that correct? Um, I'd have to count, uh, <laughs> but uh, several, yes. And uh, more summer than winter, actually. Um, Okay, and, I would have guessed the other way around with the ski racing kind of background. You would yeah, think it would be mostly it was, winter Olympics, but you did more summer Olympics? Yeah, I did a lot of gymnastics. I did okay. Greg Luganis' diving in Seoul. Right. Um, I, uh, I had a, Seoul was actually my probably my most fun experience because I got to do opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies. Uh, I did diving live, some other sports live. I did things for the Today Show at night because at 9 o'clock at night there it was you know, early in the morning in New York. Okay. And um, and that's where I won one of the Emmys, and it worked out very, very well. However, I'll tell you a quick story about the, the vagaries of television. Um, <laughs> I came back. I was told that my career at NBC was cemented, that everything was going to be great. I was, they took me to lunch in this big dining room uh, and the, uh, told me I was going to have the best contract in my life. And <laughs> then the president of NBC Sports retired. They brought in Dick Ebersol who is a legendary person and, and highly respected by me and everyone else. And Dick brought in a new executive producer, and that executive producer wanted to bring in some new talent. And so I went in a matter of three days from having been offered a very, very substantial contract to having no job at NBC. Just that just, fickleness of the industry? Just like that. While someone new comes in, like a producer, could yeah, just... So, throw the yeah. whole thing upside down. I remember Ebersole having a meeting, an all-hands meeting with everybody. He said, you're all safe here. I love you. You do great work. And a year later, 44 of us were gone. Wow. So Holy anyway. mackerel. Like swept uh -huh. house there. Yeah. So that's the name. Yeah, that can be the name. So then I the went and sometimes. I started doing some things for CBS and some things for ESPN. And, and, and then I came back to NBC. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not what you would call a secure life. <laughs> well, and you hear kind of actors talk about that, too. They're, 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 no matter what they've done, they're still concerned or even worried, am I going to get another gig? And what's my next gig? And do I get another movie? And that's kind of a, I think, a no, common a, along TV and movies. And it's, you never know. You just no, know. It's, it's the way it goes. I mean, yeah. we, there are very few, you know, Jim McKay's, Howard Cosell's, now Bob Costas or yes. Jim Nance. Right. Those people are there, and they, and they do a great job, and they work very hard. They're there for a long time. Right. But... Very few people are at the network level for, you know, 20, 30 years. And so I was lucky, but I did jump around because things changed. It was, uh, you know, it, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So you never know if you're going to be liked by the new executive producer. Or, right. Anyway, right. It, it, it worked. Some of that is just interpersonal and the people who come in, you get along, or different styles, or, you know, it, it may not relate to the quality that no, you it doesn't bring. Relate to, Sometimes I, it just isn't a match anymore. I had a thing. problem at NBC at one point because the executive producer's wife thought my eyebrows were too thick. Well, then, <laughs> that's just, yeah, how, what do you do? You know, I mean, besides go to your barber and say, can you take a little yeah. bit more off the Wax. Bar? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's touch one more Olympic. I want to know, I mean, all these athletes uh, through all these years, and yeah, I could talk the whole time about the Olympics because I love it so much, yeah. but is there an athlete that comes to mind that really inspired you that you could look back and go, he made me cry. He made me take this action. He made me try his sport because he was so inspirational, or she 
is there someone that just like stands out like you know we saw the passing of Muhammad Ali this last yeah, week. Yeah, no, that was that, that was that, iconic. Which really, a, a big effect on me actually. Um, you know, there's a couple of athletes that uh, come to mind. One is Eric Hyden, and I didn't cover his Olympics in in, in uh, Lake Placid, but I covered him in the pre-Olympic trials for speed skating in a place called West Alice, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. And near uh, my hometown in Milwaukee. Yeah. So, <laughs> what I Eric is now an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah. And uh, of course, he won five gold medals. Which is phenomenal because you're going from 500 meter sprint to 10,000 meter long distance. Wow! For somebody to have the fitness to do all that, but I remember Eric coming over and standing on the side of the oval for us to do an interview with him, and his legs were so big, his his quadriceps were so big that when he relaxed, the tip of his quadricep fell over the top of his knee and concealed it. Oh my god! It gosh. just there was so much muscle there. It, it it's it like just, a muscle overlap. Yeah. Just <laughs> So, but so anyway, I liked Eric. But um, I did liked he get you on skates? Did he ever get you on no, speed skates? No, no, no. And it's funny. The next person I'm going to mention is a speed skater too, and I'll be quick. Uh, Johan Olaf Koss, who was a Norwegian yes. who got involved in humanitarian initiatives, and we became friends in Lillehammer, and he um, won three. Well, in two Olympics, he won uh, four gold medals and one uh, bronze medal. But he went on to go to medical school. And then to get an MBA, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, he was the Jesse Owens uh, Award winner. And he started an international humanitarian organization called Right to Play. And he works with the World Health Organization. And he brings in Olympic athletes and sports equipment. And for kids in, in refugee areas or in famine zones, war zones, and if, if you come and participate, you have to get your inoculations from the World Health Organization first. So it's tied in like that. And okay. he's, uh, he was a UN ambassador. He's just one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. Well, you know what? It actually reminds me of, of uh, one of the things you did in your background. You founded, uh, is it called the Spirit of Hope? Right. It was also a, a nonprofit involving Olympic athletes that would go to war zones. Well, what, what happened was, yeah, it, 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 it evolved out of the crisis in Sarajevo. So okay. there, you know, I was there in uh, 1984. Uh, actually, in 83, I spent a month there making a series of pre-Olympic shows. I was there for five weeks in 84 during the Olympics. And then in 92, you know, the Serbs had invaded and terrible things were happening. And there was the crisis at, you know, the slaughter, really, at Srebrenica. And yeah. uh, the Olympic Village was destroyed. The Zetra, which is where figure skating and hockey and everything played, was, was uh, destroyed by artillery. And so Kristen Cooper, another Aspenite, yes. uh, part-time Aspenite at least, uh, and I sat down one day and said, we have to do something about this. We should right. get a bunch of Olympians who competed in Sarajevo involved. And we did, and we went back during the war, which was quite an adventure, you know, went in on a Russian troop transport plane and landed with a flak jacket and a metal helmet and got into an armored vehicle. Anyway, we were there for wow. five days. Um, and the war was going on, but we brought in a lot of sports equipment and frisbees, believe it or not, because we could pack those in a lot of them in a box. Right. And we'd go down the streets and throw frisbees out uh, for kids that were on the side of the street. Anyway, it was uh, Spirit of Hope was Humanitarian Olympians for Peace. And okay. it was, uh, then we expanded, we did something in Rwanda, but uh, we turned it over to the IOC, which had started the World Olympians uh, Organization. 
and uh, so they they run it now. Right. What was the most rewarding part of that? You know, when you look back on the spirit of hope, and you know, I mean, you're helping people at a so, very core level there. I'll tell you, we, we affiliated with an organization called the International Rescue Committee, which deals with refugee issues, and uh, it was founded by uh, Einstein, actually, in 1936. Right. And they did a study after we were gone, and it turns out that by providing recreational programs for kids, it created a whole new, first off, the kids were happier, which made their parents happier. <laughs> and when, the, well, when there wasn't bombing or artillery fire going on, um, People would gather. The parents would come out to watch their kids play soccer or volleyball or whatever. Right. And it changed the whole spirit of this area where we were, this neighborhood called Dobrynya, which was out by the airport in the hardest-hit neighborhood in Sarajevo. So it was really, um, we, we changed the psychological uh, character of the whole community during the war. Right. So seeing those people in those, you know, what the parents watching the kids and at the yeah, core of was, that, that was, that was really rewarding. It, it was remarkable. Well, Greg, we're already down to just a couple minutes. I want to touch on your new, your latest enterprise. You're becoming a digital entrepreneur, and in particular, you're moving into YouTube. Can you tell I'm people gonna, a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, and I'm going to do uh, uh, try to make my voice myself a voice of the baby boomer generation with a lot of little two-minute uh, videos that I'll shoot uh, with me talking. And um, they're irreverent and uh, sort of off the wall, but uh, I hope they'll be fun and I can build an audience with that. I'm going to start doing public speaking, uh, which I've done a lot of, but I'm going to affiliate with a speaker's uh, uh, agency and do that. And I don't know, I, uh, I'm the son of a wildcatter in the oil business. And one time I had to fill out my school form about what's your father's <laughs> occupation. And I didn't really know what my dad did. So I asked him, and he said, you just put down, your old man does any damn thing he can to make a buck. <laughs> and, and that's sort of what I've done uh, with a lot of my life, actually. Right, right. Well, how do you determine that? I mean, is this just following the heart more, following your passion more? How I've been do you really take, lucky. How do you take I, the next look, step? <clears throat> I've been very lucky, and I say serendipity has been a huge force in my life. I mean, that I got this call to do the NBC shows, that I had a sports injury and I didn't have to go to Vietnam as a Marine and I got to come here. Um, so I've had a lot of good luck and, of course, some, some things that haven't gone exactly the way I would have liked. But, uh, uh, I, you know, you, make your, you open yourself to the world and things happen and then you follow it. Right, right. That's fantastic. I really appreciate your time. I hope you had fun on the show today. No, it's We're going to have to have you back because I still only got to half my questions. But um, real quick, uh, I want to congratulate you on your recent induc induction to the Thank National you. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame. Thank you. Congratulations on that. How does that feel? Oh, that's great. That is, I, I joke, you know, you just have to live long enough in some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these things happen. So it's a longevity thing. So we'll just we'll just keep tapping into like Klaus Obermeier and those guys. If know, I can be can here, when, if I can be here when I'm 96, uh, <laughs> and I hope you're the host. So <laughs> and we can talk about the second 40 or 50 years of my life here. Well, and here's the beautiful thing: if you're 96 and can still ski every day, that's quality of life too, right there. I, I once interviewed a guy named Jack Rabbit Johansson, who was 103 at the time, and this was at the 50th anniversary of Sun Valley. And he was a guest and being celebrated. And I said, it's such a pleasure to see you here. You must be thrilled. And he said, 
I'm thrilled if I wake up. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's a, just to start another day is a yeah. success. So, um, yeah, Klaus says similar. I wake up every day and I give thanks. Yeah. That's you know, a wonderful um, thing. We're all, thank you very thank, much. Thank for you for being me on, me on the show. And I want to have you back on because, again, we'll have to continue the conversation. But I hope you had fun today. Oh, I did. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll do more. Yeah. If, if, unless I get a lot of calls from your audience that say, <laughs> Yeah, no more Gregulus, no more Gregulus. No, it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Good. So thanks for being on the local show and kicking off our summer series. My pleasure. And thank you guys for watching us on our season opener of The Local Show. The Grassroots Network Summer Podcast Series has been generously underwritten by Turnkey Vacation Rentals. Turnkey Vacation Rentals is the first truly owner-centric vacation rental service now available in the Roaring Fork Valley. We handle all of your short-term rental property management needs, offering superior service and high returns. Turnkey's straightforward pricing and transparent business model make it easier for you to earn revenue from your rental. Proprietary technology provides a smoother, more efficient experience for both travelers and vacation rental owners. Trustworthy, local staff provides support around the clock with true full-service property management for homeowners and their guests. For more information on turnkey vacation rentals, contact Mark Viola at mark.viola at turnkeyvr.com or call at 970-368-4288. Turnkey Vacation Rentals supports the Grassroots Network in your community.